Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. You're in the room. If you're joining us online, if you're listening on Way FM, it's kind of a big deal. And uh, if you're from church world, you maybe have celebrated it in different ways through the years. Uh, Some churches are full of palms on this day. Uh, One year we had the kids all running up and down the aisles with palm branches, shouting Hosanna, and I was just waiting for somebody's eye to get put out. I was just, you know, wondering what was going to happen. But but it's the first day of what's been called Holy Week, and uh, the final week leading up to Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And this morning, I just want to kind of walk us through that whole week. And, and the goal is just to encourage you to think more about next Sunday through the week than just next Sunday. I just finished this morning a 40-day Lenten a devotion on version and uh, looked on there and found a great seven-day Holy Week one. So I just encourage you, find something like that that just daily you can focus on. The final week is, is uh, a big deal in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they were written, they didn't have chapter divisions, but uh, sometime in the 1830s, that was in, the, in a Bible, they put that in there. There are 89 chapters in those four books, and 29 of them are dedicated to the last five days of Jesus' life, of the final week. And we just want to see some things this morning that were leading up to that. Jesus' ministry had been going on about three and a half years, and and when Jesus first came on the scene, uh, the religious leaders were curious, and then they were concerned, and then they were frustrated, and then they were angry. And then they're trying to figure out a way to kill him. And I'm like, here are the spiritual leaders of a nation trying to figure out how to assassinate a guy that's healing people and feeding people and being kind to people. In fact, that's where I want to pick it up. About two weeks before Palm Sunday, Jesus has actually taken his disciples and he's gone northeast of Jerusalem about 20 miles to a place called Perea. And he's there because the last place he was in Judea, the religious leaders tried to stone him. So he's got his disciples up there, but Lazarus gets sick. Mary and Martha send a messenger to say that he's sick. And Jesus tells his disciples, okay, we need to go back to Bethany. And in John the 11th chapter, that scares them. They, they say in verse 8, but, but teacher, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are we really going to go there again? And so Jesus says, yes, we need to go. Lazarus is dead, and and I want to go there. And one of the disciples, the last one that you would imagine, speaks up. His name is Thomas. What's the the usually thing we put with Thomas? He's what? (laughs) Doubting Thomas. You know, how sad that we hung that on him. That was because after the resurrection, uh, the other disciples saw Jesus, and he wasn't there. And they said, hey, Jesus is alive. And he'd go, yeah, not to put my finger in in the nail hole. He's not. And so he doubted. But on this occasion, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Bethany, and Thomas speaks up in verse 16. He says, then let's go too, and we'll die with Jesus. Just the confidence and the boldness to say, let's go. If we die, we die. So they go to Bethany, and there Lazarus is dead. He's been buried for four days. Jesus brings him back to life. Everybody's happy except for the the religious snitches. In verse 46, it says, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And in parentheses, my Bible says, snitches need stitches. I don't know what your Bible says. 
But they run back and tell the Pharisees and, and then Jesus, knowing what's going on, verse 53 says, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. And as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and he left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to a village of Ephraim and he stayed there with his disciples. Now we don't know exactly how long this was before Palm Sunday, but we believe it was just four or five days or maybe a week because the next verse, verse 55 says, it was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. This was, I don't think we can imagine how important Passover was to the Jewish people. This was the feast of the year. This was the religious event of the year. And they did not want to be disqualified in any way. And, and even as they traveled, if they came up on a dead animal or one of their family members got sick or something, they could be disqualified because of the purification part of participating. So they would go early and everybody went. This was like the crowds, the masses on the road. The historians say the hillsides around Jerusalem were covered with, with tents and people staying there and everybody's house was packed full. It was a big deal. And Jesus joins that group and heads to Jerusalem for Passover. On Thursday before Palm Sunday, we find out from the Gospels that he goes through Jericho. That would have been on the way from Ephraim to Jerusalem. When he goes through Jericho, there's a blind guy. Uh, Matthew says his name was Bartimaeus. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him. And again, there's hundreds of people around. This isn't like just Jesus and the 12. This is major crowds all moving together toward Jerusalem. Jesus hits the main streets of Jericho, which, by the way, was the original city of Palms. It's in the Bible. You can look it up. And as he goes through, he looks up in a tree and he sees Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to. And as the Lord, he passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to the house. I can tell which of you raised in Sunday school. You know, you know the song. Jesus takes his disciples. They go to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, Jesus says, salvation has come on this tax collector's house today. Thursday night before Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples stay in Jericho with Zacchaeus. They get up Friday morning and they're going from Jericho to Bethany, which is about a mile out of Jerusalem. It's the reverse journey from the parable where Jesus said the Good Samaritan story where he said a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They're doing the reverse route of that. They're going from Jericho to Jerusalem, but they're going to stop in Bethany on the way. It's a trip that could be made in one day, and 6 o'clock Friday night, the Sabbath starts. So they travel on that Friday. They get to Bethany, and we find in John, the 12th chapter, the first verse says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, a man he raised from the dead. They would have spent Sabbath, Saturday, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus there in Bethany. And then Jesus gets up Sunday morning today. Historians say that would have been March 29th that year. But he gets up on Sunday and he tells his disciples, go get the colt from this village and bring it. So they bring this young colt. And we have to understand the topography of the area to really grasp 
what a big deal this was. Bethany, or Jerusalem, set inside a valley called the Kidron Valley. And there was a stream down the middle, and the city of Jerusalem was on one side, and then you went down to the valley to the brook that ran through it, and then up the other side was the Mount of Olives, and up a trail higher than the city elevation was the peak of the hill that went over to Bethany, which was about a mile away. And so when people would come from Bethany, when they topped that hill, they could see down into the city of Jerusalem, and people in the city could look up and see people on that hilltop when they were in the city. So Jesus is at that peak, and he gets on the donkey, and again, hundreds of people all moving to Jerusalem for Passover, everybody around, and they see this, and a shout goes up, because every good Jew knew this passage from Zechariah. It says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. They were like, this is it. They had been waiting for this. So many of them have been trying to get Jesus to do this for the last year and a half. In fact, several times, the gospels tell us that people tried to take him by force and make him king. And now they're finally celebrating and going, he's going to do it. He is self-proclaiming himself as a king. And he was. It just wasn't the king they were looking for. But he is on a donkey coming in. Well, that shout goes up. The crowd goes crazy. The people in the city see it. And they begin to go out of the city because they see what's going on. They see Jesus coming down the hillside on the other side on a donkey. Everybody knows what this means. He is saying he's the king. And so they all go crazy. I don't know if you've ever been celebrating a, a, I don't know what, a a state championship. Uh, I was in Cincinnati when the Big Red Machine was there before most of you were born. I was in the 70s. I mean, the city would go nuts. It was just everybody's out there and you're just yelling and screaming and you're waving. That's what's going on. These people are waving palm branches. They're, They're ruining people's plants and trees. They're grabbing their coats and swinging them around. They're laying them down in front of him, which is what you do for a king. Everybody is so excited. The disciples are like, I don't know. Maybe they're going to kill us. Maybe he's going to be king. I mean, they don't know what's going on, but they're part of it. Mark tells us that Jesus finally makes it to the temple, but it's late in the day. This has been an all-day process. This wasn't like a 10-minute parade. Mark says it's late in the day. Jesus goes to the temple. He looks around, and then he goes back to Bethany. On Monday... Jesus gets up and he goes back into Jerusalem. What he saw when he was there Sunday night bothered him. The key to the Passover since for about 1,400 years was the lamb. When Moses was gonna lead the people from Egypt, that last plague, the Passover, the angel of death, every family was told to take a lamb without blemish, to sacrifice the lamb and to put the blood on the doorpost. And those that did that, then the angel of death would pass over them. That had been celebrated by God's standards for 1,400 years. It had become so important. It wasn't just a, a, a weekend in Jerusalem. It was a year-long process to the point that historians say that, that families would, would watch and they would catch a lamb before it even hit the ground when it was born in hopes that it would be the Passover lamb. And they would take it in their home and they would raise it and it would become part of their family and they would love it and they would carry it to Jerusalem. And yes, it would be heartbreak because of how attached they got to it, but that was the whole point. The lamb would be sacrificed and there would be a cost. 
but it would cover the sins. But what had happened over that time when Jesus walks in, he sees something completely different because the religious leaders saw a chance to make some money. So people would bring their lamb and the priest would say, ah, it's not good enough. What are we gonna do? Well, I just happen to have some pre-approved lambs over here <laughs> and I can sell you one. And they had been doing that over a period of time to the point that people just quit bringing their own lamb. Why should I take mine? We'll just buy one when we get there. And the impact of the Passover had been lost. People were no longer making the time to take care of the lamb, to carry it, to protect it, to make sure there's no blemish. They were just going to Jerusalem buying a lamb, taking it to the priest, having sacrificed for their family. On top of that, because there was a Roman occupation of government, everyday life was in Roman money. But when they went to the temple to buy their lamb, they had to have Jewish money. So they had to go to the money changers first and change their Roman money for Jewish money. And of course there was a fee and then they could buy their lamb. And it was like the Super Bowl of fundraisers, Passover for the religious leaders. And Jesus saw that Sunday night. He goes back Monday and he walks into the temple and he sees this and he just starts turning over tables and driving the animals out and driving the people out. And again, I can't imagine the disciples. They're like, <laughs> watch out. What are we going to do? Their head, you know, they're just like, they're going to kill us now. Boy, are we making the religious leaders mad? And, and the religious leaders who have been saying, if you know where he is, tell us because we want to arrest him. They're just standing back because they're like, well, we don't know exactly how powerful he is. <laughs> he did just raise a dead guy. Do we really want to mess with him? You know, and, and they're, so they're not even doing anything. And on Monday evening, Jesus goes back to Bethany. On Tuesday, he gets up and he heads in the temple to teach. On any given Tuesday, uh, on any given day of the week, in the temple, there were groups of religious people that were there who did not like each other. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were Herodians, there were Zealots, there were the high priests, there were the, the servants. And so they all were each other's enemy on any given day, but not this week. They had found they had a common enemy, Jesus so on Tuesday of Holy Week, they decide we're going to gang up and we're going to trick him and somehow we'll make him stumble and the people will, will be disappointed and they'll boo him and, and they'll run him out of town and it'll be great. So Luke 20 tells us the first group to come to him uh, on that day were the, the uh, priest and the teachers of the law. And so Jesus is teaching and they interrupt him and in verse two there, it says, so they demanded I don't know what that meant, you know, we demand. I'm sure there was some finger shaking. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do this? And Jesus just calmly looks at him and asks a question. Let me ask you a question. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? And you see these religious leaders, I'm sure with their arms crossed, they kind of look at each other and go, give us a minute. And they step back and they're kind of talking it over, trying to figure out. And they said, man, if, if we say that it's of heaven, he's going to go, why weren't you baptized? If we're going to say it's of man, the people would be mad because they thought John was a prophet. So they step back up. And again, the crowd is watching this. Jesus is in the temple teaching. All these people are watching, I think, snickering, laughing, making jokes. They go, we don't know. And Jesus says, yeah, I didn't think so. I'm not going to answer your question either. And they slink off. So then they send in the second team. And the second team that comes in, 
uh, are the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they have a political question. And so they come in and they butter him up some with, we know you're great and we know you're smart and all that, but tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus says, show me a Roman coin. Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar, they reply. He said, well, then give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what's God's. And they go, and they leave. And the crowd, I, I think the crowd's just eating us up. These have been the arrogant religious leaders holding superiority over them all this time. And Jesus just humbly answers their questions. So the third group comes in, and this is just more sad than the others. They're the Sadducees. And, uh, <laughs> but the reason they're sad, you see, is they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they come in, and here's a group that, that argues all the time that there is no resurrection. And they come to Jesus and go, so we have a question. If seven brothers die and the law says each, or each one of them has to take the, the widow of the brother, and then, then whose wife is she in the resurrection? I'm like, wait, you guys don't believe in the resurrection. You know? So it's like they're asking questions about something they don't even believe in. And Jesus just said, well, God's a God of the living, not the dead. And they're like, oh, didn't think about that. So they leave. So Tuesday, Jesus again is just building the energy of the people, but the anger of the religious leaders on that. On Wednesday, John 12 says, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were there. It's believed, uh, Mark tells us his name was Simon, the former leper. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to realize Jesus probably healed him. He had leprosy, Jesus healed him. Now he's invited to, to his home. He would have been there with his disciples. Mary and Martha were, were serving, were helping out, so it was probably a neighbor in Bethany. And at some point during the meal, Mary, uh, taking food to the table, stopped. And the way they would dine is the same way, if you've seen the, the, the upper room where people talk about, they, they ate on couches. They laid down and they would rest on their left arm and then they could reach on the table with their right arm. And so their they would, feet would be down, almost like a chase lounge kind of thing. At some point, Mary just quietly goes to Jesus' feet and she has 12 ounces of a very expensive perfume and she pours it on his feet and she begins to wipe with her hair. Not to do anything that anybody else is aware of. It's her way. She's been listening. Jesus has been saying for a long time, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna die. She gets it. And so she just goes just to show her love. And I can imagine the noise, the disciples, everybody that's eating, who knows how many people were there. And then finally somebody goes, wait, you smell that? What is that? What is that? And everybody, everybody looks at it and then somebody says, look, it's Mary. And everybody gets quiet. And they see what she's doing. And then the scripture says, Judah speaks up. That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And John, who wrote this gospel, puts in his editorial, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for her or from, for himself. Jesus tells them, leave her alone. She's honoring me by doing this. That's late Wednesday. They go back to their homes for the night. Thursday, there would be a trumpet during the day that would announce it was time for the Passover. The gospel tells us that Jesus, Jesus made arrangements for them in a, in a borrowed upper room and that they would be going there and everything had been laid out for them. And this would have been an uncomfortable 
uncomfortable time for them. Uncomfortable in a sense, one reason, because Passover was celebrated with your family. These 12 guys are with Jesus. Their families are celebrating Passover without them, so there's been a little bit of awkwardness about that. There's also an awkwardness because they're arguing about where they're gonna sit. Uh, did anybody, kids ever argue who got to sit by the door when you're getting in the car? You know, they call the door, argue over the seats. Disciples are arguing over who's gonna sit by Jesus. So I don't know if they ran in and grabbed their chairs. This is mine, this is mine. I don't know how they did that when they got in the room. But they're arguing about that. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Scholars have figured out where some of the people were sitting. Again, they would be reclined on their left arm with their right arm to be able to participate in the meal. And Jesus, immediately in front of him, the first one at the table would have been John. Then there was Jesus. And then behind Jesus was Judas. Across from John was Peter, And then, not sure, next to him, if it was Andrew, it might have been. They're eating the meal. They're participating in the Passover. uh, Or before that, even, they're arguing again about who's the greatest, and Jesus gets up and goes and starts to wash their feet. I can't imagine what that was like. They're all arguing over who's the greatest, and Jesus stops at Nathaniel, and then Philip, and then he just starts, and Peter's like, you're not washing my feet, (laughs) you know, you can wash these guys, they'll let you, but not me, and Jesus said, then you don't have any part of me, well, wash all of me then, so Peter, you don't get it, you don't need a bath, I just did this so you would learn, serve each other, just serve each other, as I've done for you, you do for somebody else, well, then the meal's going on, so they're eating the meal, and and Jesus knows what's coming up, and, and just in the moment, they're sitting there, and Jesus, leaning in toward the table, he says, one of you will betray me. Conversation stopper. And then they all start going, not me, not me, not me, not me. Surely it's not me. And, and so then they just kind of go on. And you can just imagine Peter across the table tells John, ask him who it is. And John leans back against Jesus and said, so who is it? And Jesus said, well, it's the one that's gonna dip in the bowl. And as he dips in the bowl, Judas seated next to him dips in the same bowl. Jesus said, go do what you have to do. Judas leaves. And then Jesus, again, just the stress of knowing what's coming. Uh, The Passover, there were four or five different cups of wine involved. There were a lot of bread, a lot of things on the table that represent a lot of things. Jesus takes some of the bread. And what had to be one of the most confusing moments of the disciples' life, he takes some bread and he breaks it. He goes, hey, everybody eat some of this. This is my body. And they're like, What? You know, and you can see Peter on the other side going, I don't know, just shut up and take some and eat it. You know, they're just passing around. They don't know what's going on. Then he takes the cup and he says, this is a new covenant. This is my blood spilt, poured out for you. And again, they don't have a clue. And something that was so confusing to them in the moment became so meaningful in just a few weeks and so important to them. But it says they take take the, the meal, have the the new bread and the new cup. And then they sing and then they head out to the garden. And again, they had to leave Jerusalem, go down the hill across the Kidron Valley and back up the other side to the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus asked them to pray with him. And he prays and they sleep and he wakes them up and they pray and he prays and they sleep and he wakes them up. And finally it's late, late in the evening and he looks and out of the city come some torches And he wakes the disciples up and he said, they're here, it's time, and it's Friday. It's Friday.
Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can't nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.